this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. We are here today for a new series with Real Good Stuff called Podcasting Wisdom. Today's theme is social capital. Social capital, it's a noun. It's defined as the networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively. Now, in the middle of COVID-19 in a worldwide pandemic, uh, we're definitely seeing that society as we know it isn't always functioning very effectively. As also a member of the LGBTQ community and a queer slash asexual person, uh, I certainly know what it's like to not feel like I function effectively in society because of barriers Um, also as a person who is unhoused or homeless, I feel like I am not unable to function effectively in society. Also as a person with a mental health struggle, PTSD, anxiety, and depression, I feel like I'm not enabled to function effectively in society. Social, social capital is a very important topic to me. Um, something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's one of the nicknames that I've been given in my life. I, I like to give people nicknames and people like to give me nicknames. And one of the community organizer nicknames that I was given uh, way back in uh, like 2014 was social capital or is social capital. And I wear it with pride. Um, and social capital is really, really important. When it comes to community organizing, when it comes to anything, uh, in the season one of Real Good Stuff, we even had an episode with Nadia Genet where we talked about the importance of growing social networks. We talked a lot about relationships in all of those episodes. And I think it's really important for myself to remember as a community organizer, but also someone, like I said, that is not able to function effectively in society that I still have a voice. We all still have a voice. And sometimes that voice is silenced. And sometimes folks in power, whoever they are, whatever they look like, whatever their experience is, even if it might be the same intersectionality as ours, they're not always prepared to hear the truth. Um, But it's those networks and those relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively, i.e. social capital, that is so important, it's so important. Our connections and our relationships are very important. Back in 2015, before I'd ever podcasted, before I'd ever been on a microphone for podcasting, I knew that I was interested in public speaking. I knew that I was interested in community organizing. I've been doing social justice work around homelessness, around food and gardening and community gardening and um, around mental health and, Uh, skin color, and so many different things for a number of years. Um, But in 2015, I found myself back in my hometown in Southern Oregon, in Brookings, Oregon. Shout out Brookings, uh, Brookings Harbor. 
And I was very, very, very involved. And I kept hearing about this thing called the Ford Family Foundation and the Ford Leadership Cohorts that this foundation that was conducting in rural Oregon and Northern California. It's a, a Ford Family Foundation uh, for context purposes is a foundation that was founded by the Ford family in Oregon, which is different than the Ford cars. Uh, it was the Ford Lumber Company. And so it was a lumber family and they wanted to take care of the folks and the families and things as Oregon transitions out of logging. They wanted to help these folks that had intergenerationally grown up in the logging industry. My father worked in a mill. My grandfather worked in a mill. You know, that was very common. My uncles worked in mills. Uh, it was very common where I'm from in the Pacific Northwest. Um, again, social capital, it was a big part of life there. Um, I applied. Um, actually, I was accepted. You ha couldn't... Uh, you couldn't apply yourself. You had to be nominated by someone who had previously participated in these leadership cohorts with the Ford Family Foundation. And at first I was really liking it because we were learning things and we were gathering. But then when projects got picked and I felt like my time as those of us that were doers and not meters, if you know the difference, there's people who like to meet a lot and they like to sit and talk about what they're going to do. And there's folks who like to do and they get together and they do what they do. Um, I tend to be of both kinds of people, but some of us are not. Some of us are either one or the other. And as we found that as a group that we got more to the meeting, out of the meeting time rather, and into the doing part, I found that I wanted to get back to the projects that I was working on, the gardens I was working on, the nonprofit I worked for, uh, the Checo Activity Center in Brookings, the Senior Center, um, there were so many things that I was involved with that I wanted to get back to, and I felt like my time was being swallowed up. And I was looking to disengage from this cohort, and I was approached, uh, I think largely because the, the, the group of people that was putting together the project uh, within, a, within our cohort noticed that... I was disengaging. Notice that I was like leaving during like meetings and going outside and just taking personal space. I was, I was self-caring is what I was doing, right? Um, we all do that. We all need to do that. That's in a very important part of social capital is realizing when, you know, when to like engage and when to disengage. And there are appropriate times for both and there's no right or wrong about any of it. Uh, but as we, you know, as we were moving through that process, I got very like frustrated and just did not want to come back anymore. And so they asked me, uh, they said, would you give the speech at our event? There's a launch event for every project with the cohorts that happens. And I was like, okay, you want me to get up in front of people and talk? That sounds appealing actually. Like, and talk about social capital, like how we do this, how we, how we make projects happen in our communities. How do we, how do we find, right? Cause even real good stuff, we've talked about this in episodes of real good stuff. Real good stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's all these people that come together to make this happen, whether it's the business cards, the logo, uh, a million drops with Micah, the founder of a million drops, all the guests, um, Tom Bozak, my mentor back in Oregon with KCIW, and Candice, Michelle, the programming director there, um, all of those people. 
they all come together to play a part, right? Leov and Urban Voices Project with the music. Uh, there's so many people. Andrew with Hollywood Adventist. Uh, where full disclosure and context, thank you, Hollywood Adventist. This is where I'm still recording, even though a million drops is no longer located here. Um, social capital has always been a big part of my life, including even now, right? Getting back into therapy and back into shelter and finding my way back into services, right? Because dealing with you know, homelessness and mental health issues, it's really challenging and it can definitely, a damper is probably the wrong word as I laugh about that, but it could definitely be a damper on a person's life. You know, homelessness homelessness can really be a a thing that really drags someone down as does, uh, you know, mental health struggles. But getting back to this cohort, they asked me to, to do this, right? To talk about, you know, what I do with my organizing and, and basically turn this into a 10-minute speech. And I was really interested in getting in front of all these leaders within the community because it was going to be like county commissioners and uh, like city city leaders from the multiple different cities in our counties and folks from the foundation and other community leaders and just all these different people. And it wasn't even being held in Brookings, where I'm from. It was being held 30 minutes north in Gold Beach at the county seat. So I was really excited about this opportunity to get up in front of people for 10 minutes. And they assigned uh, a speaking coach to me. And I was like, I don't need help. I can do this myself. And she was like, no. She goes, you're going to talk for 10 minutes, and it's going to be planned out. And you need." And I didn't believe her, right? I was like... I can do this. I'm a super Leo. I'm a stellium Leo. I can do this. I'm, I'm good. I've got this. I, I live social capital. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I love Olivia. If you ever listen to this, I love you. Um, but I said, Olivia, I don't need your help like this. I am social capital. I don't need you to tell me how to talk about it. And she said, I'm not telling you how to talk about it. I'm telling you about the format and I'm sharing the format with you and how to design a 10 minute talk so it's effective and so you're ready. I didn't believe her. And as time went on and we practiced and I developed the index cards, which are light blue that I still have and they're in front of me. Somehow they've survived the homeless experience with me. Um, And they're written in black Sharpie. Shout out to Sharpie. If you're listening someday, I'd hope that you become a sponsor of Real Good Stuff. Even if it's just to, you know, I love Sharpies and Sharpies love me. So, um, but I wrote out this social capital speech on index cards. I broke it down into multiple points. And it was very fascinating because as the night of the speech came, the more weird things started to happen in my life, including I faced a really dire healthcare emergency that I didn't know what was even happening that day of the speech, but like I almost died and I won't go into all of that, but I had a really bad infection and I almost lost my life and it didn't happen that night. I wasn't going to pass. Hopefully that night wouldn't have happened. Um, But I remember being in the bathroom beforehand and just being in so much pain and thinking, I can't do this. Like nobody was, nobody but the cohort was there yet. And I was so stressed and I was in so much pain in the bathroom. And I remember just like crying and just saying, you know, 
pull yourself up, Scott. Just, you know, that bootstrap myth. Like, just, just keep going. Just keep pulling yourself up. And so I did, and I went out, and I, I delivered this speech on social capital that I'm about to share with you. It's not very long. Like I said, it, when I initially gave it, it was 10 minutes. I'm not sure how long it's going to be now. Um, probably a little bit shorter because um, I've practiced it a lot more, and it's not live. But um, I really thought that I was social capital. I, did, I thought I knew it all as you know whether we're white or we're heteronormative or we're housed or whatever it is where we think we know and maybe we don't social capital it's a noun the networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society enabling that society to function effectively that definition says nothing about those people having housing that n- definition says nothing about those people being compensated for their time with their work. But it's so important. The networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society enabling that society to function effectively. I still love social capital. I still practice it daily in my life. Uh, it's how real good stuff has happened. Uh, it's why I thought it was so appropriate for this first episode of this special series with real good stuff, podcasting wisdom for us to focus on social capital. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's the speech that I wrote alone. We can do so little together. We can do so much. Helen Keller. Social capital is listening, trust, relationships, tenacity, reciprocity, engagement, and empowerment. Indigenous people throughout history have shared their stories and their history through storytelling, through an oral or shared verbal history. They share this from generation to generation through their stories, through their connections, through their kinship networks that exist in these societies. And through the roles that they play, they pass this history down through listening. It is how their whole culture is processed and contained. Listening. Personal stories are important. I know what I know. I don't know what you know. By taking a moment and letting someone else share what they know, I get the opportunity to learn something new or see a different perspective or have a stereotype challenged or have, you know, my racism challenged or my white privilege challenged or even my privilege as being a person who is homeless challenged, right? Listening helps people feel valued. Absolutely. It calms my PTSD. It's one of the things with 
therapists and other people who I work with on treatment teams and things like that, it's one of the things that I let them know calms me down when I'm having a PTSD breakdown. Just listening. Listening is healing. Listening is transformational. It's one of the things that we say in Real Good Stuff a lot in the podcasts. Listening is transformational. Listening builds trust between the person that is sharing and the listener. Trust. That's a big one. It's very hard for me. It can be very hard for you. It could be very hard for a lot of people. Trust takes time. It takes a lot of time. It doesn't happen right away. Trust builds over time. Because of that, trust takes patience. Trust isn't just something where you say, oh, I trust you, and then, oh, I trust you. Because circumstances change. Things change. People change, believe it or not. I'm not the same person I was yesterday, right? None of us are. So taking that time and that patience to build that trust along with listening is so very, very important. Relationships. It's such a big one, right? Because it's also in the definition of social capital. Relationships can be such a challenge. We have to make ourselves vulnerable to enter into a relationship with people, right? We have to, when we're being hurt or we're building trust or we're building relationships, we have to make ourselves vulnerable. And oftentimes, maybe not now during a pandemic when this is being recorded, but face-to-face, the eye contact, right? Especially in this dominant society, this culture that we live in, this, you know, United States of America, if you're listening in the United States or maybe another, you know, European culture or another culture where eye contact is very valued, right? Face-to-face eye contact is very valued between two people that are communicating. Um, It helps with that connection, right? It also helps if you smile, right? Um, Ask questions, right? It's a part of listening and the smiling and, and all of that. It also helps to make the first move, right? And this isn't even talking, I'm not talking about dating relationships right now. I'm talking about like interpersonal like connections, right? Just people that we know, whether that be from nonprofits or church or volunteering or from a bar or a club or from work or from the tent next door or the house next door or the apartment next door or whatever it is, make the first move. Connect. Be willing to connect. Whatever you are doing right now, stop. Build relationships with those around you. So the next part of this, along with listening, trust, and relationships, comes tenacity. There will be obstacles. I'm going to repeat that. There will be obstacles. Be patient. Be patient with yourself with others, with your projects. The reason why I share at the beginning of this episode about wanting my wanting to disengage, right, and my privilege and my pride as an organizer and all of that, my projects were more important than this community project we were working on. 
I wasn't being patient with them. I wasn't showing up the way I needed to show up, the way I'd committed to showing up. Nothing was wrong. I just was feeling like I was spending more time than I wanted to spend. But I needed to keep trying. I needed to keep showing up. And I asked for feedback. I expressed it. Ask for feedback. I would have never been asked to give this speech in 2015 around social capital if I had not asked for feedback, if they did not know that I was wanting to disengage. But they knew my gift was speaking in front of groups. It's one of the things I studied in college and university was public speaking. Shout out to Dr. Ron Reel and Ken Sherwood and Sharon Hendricks and all of the amazing people that have coached me in public speaking over the years at LA City College and Southern Oregon Community College. It's been really great. Thank you. Um, But it's that tenacity. It's that keeping going, right? Whether it's social capital or mental health or homelessness or fighting against, you know, white supremacy and racism and all of these things, you know, there's so much Tenacity is so important to social capital. Along with listening and trust and relationships and tenacity is reciprocity. It's really easy to say, oh, hey, come over here and participate in what I'm doing. But that's not a very good community organizing practice. When I, was in Port- when I was attending Portland State University from 2011 to 2013, I was involved with the Institute of Sustainable Solutions at Portland State. I was in a subgroup with an internship about sustainable social justice communication, basically. And we were going around trying to get these different like departments and groups in the school, whether it be the Black Studies Department or the Women's Studies Department or the Native American Student Center or whatever group it was, trying to get them engaged in the sustainability work that we, right, we as the dominant Institute of Sustainable Solutions at Portland State, that we were doing. And I began to listen to these other people because I was taking a lot of black studies classes and, and other classes that were outside of the anthropology department, even though I was an anthropology student. And I began to see the same principle of me going out into the campus and finding the classes that I felt actually suited what I wanted to learn more. And so... We talked with the person that was leading, the grad student that was leading our, you know, social justice, communication, sustainability task force. And it was so interesting because we came up with this model of actually going into the women's studies department and participating in what they were doing, not with our own agenda, not with our own little sustainability, you know, whatever that we've got going on. No, what are they doing? And can we go and participate in what they're doing? We did the same thing with the Native American Student Center. We went and we found what they were doing and we participated in what they were doing. We didn't bring what we were doing. We did later. We ended up renting out their space and there's a a winter sustainability carnival and social justice carnival that goes on during the winter 
quarter. And I don't know if they're still renting out the Native American Student Center, but for a few years, they were actually renting out that space to host this event over in their space rather than in the space that we already had access to, that nobody was going to because it was on the side of campus. It was mostly folks who were white. It was mostly folks with a lot of privilege. It was mostly folks that, you know, were of certain majors and things like that. So reciprocity is really super important. It was just interesting to, to see the way the dialogue changed when we were trying to interact with people, when we no longer expected them to come to what we were doing, but we instead went and participated with what they were doing. We went and, and joined in with them how was appropriate and participated. That's also very important to remember that when you're a guest in someone else's space, especially if that's not one of your dominant identities, um, to acknowledge that and acknowledge that you're a guest. And that's also part of reciprocity that goes back again to, you know, the building relationships and the trust and the listening and the tenacity and the patience and all of that reciprocity is so important. It's not just about what I'm doing, right? It's not just about what I'm podcasting about. There are other podcasters in this city that are podcasting about homelessness There's other podcasters in this city that are podcasting about mental health. There's other people around the world that are podcasting about the same subjects that I'm podcasting about. So I'm out there following their Instagrams, following their social media, liking it, sharing it, participating, because it's not just about me, right? Social capital, the networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively. After reciprocity, the next piece of social capital, I believe, is engagement. When we engage with people in their own environment, through stewardship, through service, you can check out a really great episode of Real Good Stuff, episode 21, with Robert Galinsky, our first returning guest, uh, and our original first guest with Real Good Stuff. We talk about the currency of service in episode 21. But stewardship and service are so important. I love to stick around at the end of events or at the end of projects and help clean up. It is the most effective time as a community organizer that I found to show up and be present and be hands. Even if it's just to be there and fold some chairs and sweep the floor or basic things like that, you have no idea at the end of an event, if you've never done anything like that before, you have no idea the impact that makes on the people who are there on the organizers, on the people who are volunteering. It's a great way to practice social capital. It's a great community organizing tool. Because you're in their own environment. You were on their turf. You were on their turf. I can't say turf today. You're on their turf, right? This is their space. Again, you're entering into their space and offering yourself and your ability and your social capital, the things that you have to bring to the table, so to speak. You're offering it. You're engaging. You're participating in enabling that society to function effectively, even if that 
society is a microcosm of our larger society. Engagement is so important. After listening and trust and relationships and tenacity and reciprocity and engagement, the final part of social capital, I believe to be empowerment. Now, this is a really tricky word because I believe and know that we all have our own power that's inherent within us. Nobody gives it to us. I don't empower you. You don't empower me. We don't empower each other. We have that. But this word empowerment, this idea that when we're practicing all of these things, it enables people to show up in a more real way, in a more thorough way, in a more robust way. When we're practicing all of these things, when we're aware of listening and trust and the relationships that we build and the tenacity, when maybe those relationships go south and the reciprocity in rebuilding those relationships and the engagement in rebuilding those relationships, if possible, there's that empowerment piece that comes along with it. It creates a positive environment. It it helps people to thrive. It helps people to grow. Empowerment is important because everyone's voice is important in that environment. Even the person who shows up at the end to fold up the chairs and put away the chairs and sweep the floor and clean up, they're just as important as the people that were there at the event are just as important as the meters that met so many times to plan the event, as the doers who did the event, as everyone as the executive director who's getting paid, who maybe wasn't even able to make it because their schedule's overbooked. Everyone is important. Everyone's voice, everyone's experience, everyone's life and lived experience has value. Honoring people's contributions is so important. It's why when I share real good stuff on social media or different places or people ask me about it, I'm really quick to tell people, this wasn't me. I didn't do this on my own. Even the name Real Good Stuff didn't come up with just me on my own. I was in a conversation with someone at the time who was going to be the co-host. We came up with the name in a conversation Had I not been having a a conversation about the topics that ended up becoming real good stuff with him when our shifts would cross at the laundromat, shout out to Ross Dodds and Wash on Western and Micah Bolt for, you know, all of that, you know, wonderful opportunity and to Pedro, the coworker who was, you know, there, uh, Pedro, you're awesome. And thank you so much for all of those times that we talked and the things that you taught me and the listening that we engaged with. Honoring people's contributions is important. This equipment that I'm recording on didn't belong to me. It belonged to a woman in New York named Cynthia DJ Cherish the Love Maleron. Had she not brought this equipment across the country? Yes, my equipment was born in New York. (laughs) I'm not a New Yorker, but the equipment is. Um, I've always wanted to be a New Yorker, and I guess this is the second best thing. But if it wasn't for Cynthia, DJ Cherish the Love, thank you so much, Cynthia, for bringing the equipment and for believing enough in me after having a 30-minute conversation with me in 2018, believing in me. I was homeless. I was on the street. I had nothing. I was working in a laundromat. 
Like, she'd never heard my podcast. She didn't know anything about me. And she brought this equipment. So thank you, DJ Cherish the Love. Thank you, Micah Balt, the founder and director of A Million Drops. Thank you, Andrew Piles Fremming, for allowing A Million Drops to rent the space and then also to allow me a space to continue. Right, I go to church at Hollywood Adventist, full context there at the church. But just that ability to be able to continue to have a quiet space to record when needed or to edit or a Wi-Fi to access, right? Being, being someone who is homeless, that's not so easy to get a hold of. And then beyond that, all of the guests, all of these people, because not all of the episodes have even aired, right? So the episodes that never even made it to earshot of beyond just me and the listener, right? To all of the students, all of the students, to Chevelle and LJ and and Rachel and so many people that were coming, right, to these classes and engaging with me. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for getting on the microphone. Thank you for coming to class. To Joan, my wonderful mentor, Joan Howard, who is one of the most amazing advocates for people who are outside living that I have ever met in my life. Connecting me with John Frank at the library on Sunset at the Durant Library in Hollywood. And, you know, all of that to the ladies at Locator Radio for teaching their class at the little Tokyo Library. I would not be teaching podcasting now and mentoring other people if it wasn't for them and the class that they taught at the LA Public Library in Little Tokyo. Tom Bozak, Candace Michelle, Linda Bozak, Connie Hunter, Pi White, Jim Newman, so many people, Thane Groff from the Czech Coactivity Center, Janice Scanlon from the Czech Coactivity Center, Glenda Groff, Carol Owens. So many people are coming to my mind just as we sit here that have taught me. I mentioned my speech professors. I'll mention them again. Dr. Ron Real, Sharon Hendricks, Dr. Ken Sherwood, Gene Dumphy, you know, all of these people that, that saw a gift in me and nurtured it and encouraged it. It's so important. Honoring people's contributions. That's what social capital is all about. Social capital is listening, trust, relationships, tenacity, reciprocity, engagement, and empowerment. Thank you so much for listening to Real Good Stuff. This is our very first episode of a new series with Real Good Stuff called Podcasting Wisdom. Thank you so much and have a great day. Bye-bye. It's good